Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Conversations with Annalisa Barbieri. That's me. I'm a broadcaster and journalist, and my Ask Annalisa column appears in The Guardian every Saturday. Each week, I'm lucky enough to speak to some amazingly insightful, top-of-their-field specialists, and this podcast gives me the opportunity to speak to them in much more detail on subjects that come up all the time. I self-fund this project, and I'd love to continue to do more, so if you'd like to support us and also listen to this podcast series free of ads do join us over on Patreon, where you can also get the podcasts before they go on general release. Go to patreon.com forward slash Annalisa Barbieri. Otherwise, you can leave a one-off donation on ACAS Supporter. You can find the link for that in the description of this episode. Or just please listen and share as much as you can. It would also mean a lot to us if you left a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome to this episode. An introduction to sex and the sex organs with Silva Neves, a sexual and relationship psychotherapist and specialist in sexology. Sexology is the study of human sexual behaviours and intimate relationships and Silva is accredited with the College of Sexual Relationship Therapists and the UKCP. You may remember Silva and I talked in series three about the importance of good sex education And here we answer some of the questions that come up a lot from young people, often too embarrassed to ask because they think they should know. I first learned about sex from a book in the library. I was 10 or 11 and some of the things I was hearing at school didn't add up with what I'd been told at home. So I went to the library and got a book and it was all quite different to what I'd been told. I still remember this moment and the shock I felt. My first thought was that the book was wrong. And then my second was to realise that either my mum was wrong or she'd lied to me. This was a seismic moment and one I wanted to avoid with my own children. I resolved never to be embarrassed talking about sex and it helps that my day job involves lots of such conversations with sex therapists. But years later and with now so many books, YouTube and the internet, I'm still surprised by the misinformation out there. This is often spread by children, teens, even adults who may not have had the sex education they deserve and so think they know and they then spread a lot of half-truths or too embarrassed to explain or ask for clarification. It's absolutely okay to not know but what becomes less okay is when this misinformation perpetuates 
because it doesn't help young people make the right choices for them or it makes them worry that there's something wrong with them. I don't think the watching of porn amongst young people helps. As we discussed in the sex education episode, porn isn't about sex education because it often doesn't depict what sex is actually like. I think sex is a really important topic and the sooner we learn about it, the sooner we can learn what we like and what we don't like. You may already know a lot of what we discuss, but you may surprise yourself with what you learn, even about your own body. As you'll hear, Silver told me something about the clitoris that I didn't know. You can hear why I compare it to an iceberg. Hello Silver and welcome back. We're going to talk about sex some more and we're going to start with some basics if we can. First of all, let's talk about the female and the male sexual organs. Let's start with the female sexual organs and what's often called the vagina is actually the vulva, is it not? That's right, yes. People confuse the two terms. For those who may not have seen one or may have difficulty looking at their own, could you describe what a vagina and a vulva looks like? So first, when you look at a, at a vulva, you'll have the first set of labias, and, and we call them labia majora, and they envelop the vulva. And underneath the labia majora, you have another set of labia, labia minora. Now, the labia minora, although they're called minora, sometimes can be a bit bigger than the labia majora, so they can protrude out of the labia majora, but they are actually, all of it is fine. There's no, there's no right or wrong with that, so don't worry about, about the size of your labias. Underneath the labia minora, then you have the entrance of the vagina, and that's still part of the, of the vulva, and what you have there is what we call the vestibule. So the vestibule is just the entrance, and then you have, at the top, you have where the external bit of the clitoris is, and that's very, very sensitive part. And in between the two, you have the urethra. So then, as you go inside, you then start to get into the vagina. And the vagina is basically a long structure where the internal branches of the clitoris fits around it. And then that goes into the uterus as well. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, what the structure is. But what you see on the outside will be basically the labia majora, the labia minora, the clitoris and the entrance, the vestibule. You know, naturally, people will have hair all over that structure and also on the top of the vulva, which we call the mons. But some people choose sometimes to, to shave it all off and so sometimes it can be hairless and sometimes it can be hair and both are fine. Although if you do shave that part of your body on a regular basis, it can actually create some irritations on the skin and it might not be so great. So the, the vulva is the outside bit, the vagina is the internal bit. That's right. So the clitoris is a very important part. The, the clitoris has lots and lots of nerve endings. So it means that it's very, very sensitive to, to touch and obviously to pleasure. And it is the only organ in the human body that doesn't have another purpose. So it only has, the clitoris only has the purpose of pleasure, which is pretty amazing. Growing up, I remember reading in women's magazines about women's G-spot. Where is that? <laughs> 
Well, the G-spot is basically um, just uh, inside of the uh, vagina. So if you, put, if you put a finger just inside and up, it's basically where the clitoris is or, or one, one part of the structure of the clitoris is that gives a lot of pleasure. But really, the, the first time that somebody described the G-spot, they actually missed the clitoris altogether and they actually looked at the urethra. So that was wrong uh, in the first place. But the, the term G-spot stayed around, uh, but basically it's the clitoris. The uh, labia minora and majora also have a lot of nerves and things, and that's really, really also very pleasurable. And so when people get aroused, when women get aroused, those parts will engorged in blood. So it's almost, it's almost like a, an erection. Erection, yeah. And, and, um, and that will be more sensitive to touch. So those parts are also very good, for, very good for pleasure. And every pubic hair is also connected to nerves. So if you have pubic hair and you tug a little bit on it, that can also produce pleasure. Gosh, I didn't know that. Yeah. While we're talking about the vagina, talk about what happens when a woman is aroused. When a woman is aroused, there, there is definitely going to be some wetness and that is part of the, the arousal effect. Some people have a, a lot of wetness, other people not so much. It depends, very much depends. And no, nothing is abnormal about that. It's when the vulva and the vagina becomes wider and that's when it facilitates basically sexual contact. So it's very, it's very good, it's very normal, but a lot of women sometimes feel like if they, if they insert a, a tampon when they're not sexually aroused, most of the time when they insert a tampon, they're not sexually aroused. They often think, well, that feels very different from when I have sex. And the reason why it feels very different is because the vulva and the vaginas are in very different states. So a, a vulva in arousal state is very, very different, feels very different than when there's no arousal. Yes, I think that's really important. And we're going to talk about myths later on. But also the sort of arousal and the fluid sort of biological reason is to facilitate the semen reaching the cervix, isn't it? Yes, there's an evolutionary function, that's for sure. But a lot of our bodies, a lot of the way that our bodies react to touch when it's wanted touch and arousal and so on, is all working really well. Our body's working really well to facilitate those, those, uh, those things. So sexual pleasure and sexual activities, sexual behaviors are really part of, of a big kind of process that the body gets prepared for, which is quite amazing. And the way that people get aroused also is very different from one person to another. So for women, for example, they might be getting aroused just by seeing somebody that they find attractive. Others need to find arousal in terms of being touched and, and some prefer to have the romance that goes with it, uh, you know, some nice gentle caress before they can become aroused. And for other people, they become aroused just spontaneously just because the body does its own thing sometimes. So there's many, many multiple ways of being, of feeling sexual desire and feeling, and feeling arousal. And when you feel sexual arousal, then that's when there's a whole kind of mechanism, biological mechanism that happens from the chemicals released from your brain all the way down to how your genitals respond. So it's pretty amazing. I know it's an amazing teamwork, isn't it? That the body yes. and the mind sort of does. I mean, sometimes girls have written to me to say that they don't get wet and sex is uncomfortable, even though they want the sexual contact. And I'm guessing sometimes that can happen because they're not relaxed. And so the process can't start. Absolutely. A lot of people think that sex should be natural and sex should just happen easily. And that's just not true. What is natural and easy is that we get sexual desire and we get sexual arousal pretty easily. But the actual having sex is not so easy and so natural. So we have to learn the having sex takes skills. 
And that means that we need to learn to feel good about our sex life. We need to learn to feel good about our bodies. We need to learn to not feel so much shame about some shaming messages that we might have picked up from today's society. And so all of that is part of learning the skills, as well as obviously very good communication with your sexual partner, where you're going to have to really talk about with them first before you have sex so that you can feel safe and so that you can know that what's going to happen is what you want. And do women have nerve endings all the way through their vagina? Yeah, I mean, the clitoris is a very big tr structure. Sometimes if you go inside, and, and women often talk about the vaginal orgasm, but what it is is that uh, it's, it's the other branches of the clitoris, the earth, internal branches of the clitoris that are connected right. with, with the nerves inside of the vagina. So there is definitely some pleasure that can happen, but it's still based on the nerves of the clitoris. So is the clitoris a bit like an iceberg? Yes, it is. So let's talk about penises. Yes. What are the relevant parts here? Well, the penis basically is an organ that is soft a lot of the time. And when people get aroused, then there's a lot of blood. Again, that's a, a major kind of biological process that comes from the brain all the way down to the genitals where the blood is rushed into the penis. There are three different spongy places that the blood goes into. And then once the blood is in the penis, which is basically at the moment of arousal, then there is also a mechanism that traps the blood so that the penis stays hard for longer than just a few minutes of the heartbeat. But the mechanism sometimes is not always efficient. So it means that the hardness of the penis does fluctuate uh, from one minute to the next. And a lot of men don't know about that and they, they feel sometimes afraid they're losing their erection if they feel the, their hardness just going a bit softer. And then after the arousal moment, so usually it is after ejaculation, then the penis will slowly return back to its soft state where the blood leaves the penis. Yeah, so the blood stays there and is it almost like a one-way valve that keeps it there until ejaculation yes. or until the man loses his erection for whatever reason? That's right, yes. But the erections are, again, the, the, the myth is that men should have erections very easily and they should ha be great lovers and they should be penetrating all the time. And the thing is that erections are actually very, very fragile. They don't always happen very easily because it takes a lot of brain as well to keep the erection. It needs to have a really good alignment between what's happening in our, in our mind and what's happening in our genitals. So if in our mind we're going to be worried about our bodies, we're going to be worried about losing the erection, we're going to be worried about not being a good lover, then there's going to be an anxiety that's going to be anti-erection and so the system reverts. And that's because in the evolution we would be all dying if we were having erections at the moment of feeling anxiety or feeling stress because in our ancestors, if they felt stressed, that's because there was a threat. And so when you have a threat, you don't want to have an erection at the time, you need to run. And so you need to have the blood in the, in, in the legs rather than the, the penis. Mm. So what it means is that now we still have that mechanism. So if we are feeling anxious or stressed about something, the blood is just not going to go into the penis. And, and a lot of men sometimes don't understand that they really need to look after their mind in order to have better erections. How can they look after their minds? Again, by challenging the myth, like for example, the myth of I must always have an erection at any time. And if I don't have an erection, that means I can't have sex. That is something to, to challenge because 
Yes, if you don't have an erection, you can't have penetration, but it doesn't mean you can't have sex because there's plenty of things that you can do in the sexual space with your partner when you don't have an erection. Plenty of things you can do to ask your partner to touch you in certain places or even talking about something erotic or doing other things. You know, we have tongues, we have fingers, we have other parts of the body that can also produce pleasure. We can focus on our partner's pleasure for a while and all those things can help with relaxing our mind, staying in the erotic moment and not worrying about, you know, being a good lover or losing your erection. And then erections then are much easier to come. And what about the testicles? What do they do? The testicles are basically there to produce the sperm that's going to be of good quality enough to be reaching the egg. That structure is external of the, of the body because the best temperature for the sperm is just a few degrees below the body temperature. We talked about the vulva, the vagina, the clitoris, certain parts have more nerve endings. What about the penis? Is there a certain part that's more sensitive? It very much depends on the man, but usually the gland, so that's the top bit of the penis, is the one that's covered by the foreskin, is the most sensitive part. And so often if people want a better erection or they want some extra pleasure, just massaging that part, playing with that part can actually produce a lot of pleasure and increase erections. Does being circumcised make a difference to a man's sensitivity. The jury is out about that. We have lots of different opinions about this. So the circumcision is the removal of the, of the foreskin. A lot of the time is done for religious reason. It depends on the culture, but some other time is done for medical purposes. So if it's for medical purposes, it's usually because the foreskin is very, very tight and it's actually, and, and the person who's trying to pull the foreskin down, it's very painful. So that can be an issue because that means that the penis cannot be cleaned very well and sometimes that can, some infection can happen. So that's when circumcision medically might be recommended, but that's usually done with the person's full consent compared to sometimes circumcision is done at baby stage when, when people are babies and for some people they don't mind about it but other people feel pretty angry about that because uh, it's done without consent. Is it easy to tell if a man has been circumcised? Uh, yeah, it's pr well, not, not if you don't want to look at the penis but uh, if... Uh, <laughs> if <yeah. laughs> no, I do mean if you... <laughs> yes, it's very different. It looks very different. Can you describe what an uncircumcised penis would look like? Well, it looks like a penis with more skin on, basically, and you don't necessarily see, if, especially if the penis is soft, you don't necessarily see the glands. So you, then you need to pull the foreskin back um, to see the glands. Back yeah. to see the gland. So with a soft penis, a circumcised penis would look more like an erect penis, if that makes sense. It wouldn't have In the soft state. It wouldn't yeah. have the like the polo neck, as it were. That's right. Yes, the gland is just exposed. Yeah. So, Silva, we've talked about, you know, the erection, arousal, but the mechanics of sex is really about stimulation, isn't it? It's about stimulation. It's about knowing your body very well and it's about skills and what to do with it. And so basically it all starts with, uh, as we've talked about, how we get sexual desire and how we get sexual arousal. It can be different for different people. And so some people are more visual, some people are more kind of like listening to things or smell. There are different parts, different senses that will trigger the sexual arousal of wanting to have sex. So, you know, what we call the foreplay is basically the parts where you're going to warm each other's body up. And so that can include a mutual touch, mutual masturbation, mutual oral sex or one-way oral sex. Although for some people, oral sex is not part of foreplay, it's part of the main course and that can be it. So 
for a lot of people that do not like penetration, what we call foreplay can be for some people what they call core play. And then that can be just as pleasurable and just enough for many people. Then, of course, there are some people who are going to want to go into penetration and penetration is just one sexual behavior. It's not the whole sex. It's not the, it's not the most important. It's just one behavior. And that can be a penis in vagina for heterosexual people. It can be penis in anus for gay men. It can be for heterosexual couples. Again, getting to know each other's bodies because there are some people that are going to prefer certain positions to other positions. You have to know what your partner prefers, what you prefer that's going to be the best pleasurable position. And, and that's going to depend also on your, on your age. You know, if you're younger, you might have some more kind of... Uh, uh, sophisticated positions compared to you know if you're in your 60s and 70s and you have a bit of you know cranky knees <laughs> and then knowing also if you need some aid because sometimes having aids does not mean that something is wrong it just means that you can enhance your sexual pleasure so some people sometimes might want to have sex with with partners and sex toys other people need to add some extra lube for anal sex, definitely extra lube, but sometimes for penis and vagina, a little bit of lube can help too. And, um, and then you do that for just as long as you need. For some people, they like to do penetration just, just for a few minutes. Usually people don't like long, long, long penetration times because it can become sore. And then there is the ejaculation for men. There is the uh, orgasm for men and women. And then that can happen either internally. So people, you know, ejaculating inside or they can ejaculate outside. And then men then will have the refractory period when they have to rest for quite a while. And women can also uh, either have a, a period of arousal coming down and the vagina just going back, you know, the blood uh, flowing out of the, of the vulva. And then that's what we call the resolution phase. But women can have more sexual arousal after an orgasm than men. Obviously, a big subject is penis size. How important is it? And that's actually one of the main anxiety for men. And that type of anxiety that blocks the erection is because they're worried about the penis size. And the thing is that in, in terms of penis size, there is no normal. There's so many diversity of penis sizes that we can't actually say this is small this is big this is the average so although people do try to put an average of say for example five inches is is the average but really it doesn't really matter in terms of the sexual pleasure because the gland works the same way you, the erection works the same way and you just have the same kind of pleasure it doesn't matter about your size you know people who who might think they're on the smaller size can actually give a lot more pleasure to their partner than those who are on on the bigger size in fact a lot of uh, people say that a big penis is pretty it's quite impractical for sex so even though it's great for fantasies it's not so great in practice so you know we have to think about the fact that you know it's best to kind of like try to move away from numbers and and sizes and just more about you know, how can I feel the full pleasure of my body in that moment with my partner or with myself, actually? Even Absolutely. But it's something that persists so much. Yeah. And the long penis sometimes can really um, get the, the partner hurt. You know, if, if the penis goes too far deep inside, it can be painful for some people. Not all people. Some people like it nice and deep, but some people don't. But usually because in the penis, the, the gland is the most sensitive. Even if the whole penis doesn't go in, it's still pleasurable enough. Now, going to the anus, something that not a lot of people talk about. And I must stress that anal sex is not something that you have to do if you don't want to. 
um, but some people do like it. So can we talk a bit about the anus? Yes, the anus is a part of the body that's very, very sensitive and has lots and lots of nerve endings there as well. That's actually why we can identify whether we are passing gas or whether we need to pass something more solid or if our stool is really quite liquid. We can actually feel all of that in minute details because of so many nerve endings. So because there's lots of nerve endings, what it means is that it's a very sensitive area. So even if you brush gently a thumb over the outside of your anus, that can produce a lot of pleasure. And for some people, of course, they also enjoy, not everybody, but some people also enjoy a finger or a toy or a penis inserting inside the anus as well. Some people do enjoy that. But the anus does not lubricate. And so what it means is that you have to definitely use a lot of lube if you're going to insert something in it. And also to be very quite gentle because the lining of the anus are quite fragile. Can you just explain a bit about what lubricant is? Yes, it's basically a, a substance that is quite viscous and it comes in tubes and you just put that on your on the tip of your fingers and then you just apply it to your genitals for better gliding penetration. But sometimes can use lube for masturbation. It's for actually for men, masturbating with lube and focusing on the gland of the penis can be quite pleasurable. There are different quality of lube. Some lubes can be cheaper than other lube. All lubes are pretty safe to use, but some people might have a bit of a skin reaction with some lube. And so if you do have a, a bit of reaction, the alternative is to go for organic lube. That's a bit more expensive, but you can go online and get some organic lube. And usually that's people prefer that. Yeah, and it's basically to make the sexual experience more comfortable that's right obviously the anus is where we defecate where we poo from so if you do want to experiment or try anal sex is there anything you should do apart from the things we've just said to prepare for it yeah some people do what we call douching so douching is basically injecting some water inside to clean the lining of of the anus so that there is less chance for um, any accidents to happen. But we have to also think that this is, uh, not everybody likes douching and you have to do it very carefully as well because if you do too much of it, you can also damage the inside of the anus. So, uh, so you have to know what you're doing. And even if you douche, if you're playing with the, your anus and you're enjoying playing with your anus, it comes with the territory that there might be occasionally some encounter with feces. It's just part of it and you have, either have to accept it or, or don't do it. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Or sex, also known as fellating, cunnilingus, depending on who it's performed on, blowjobs, etc. What is that? So oral sex can be licking the clitoris and the vulva, or it can be uh, sucking a penis. We're going to talk about myths, but there's one that comes, which is the whole, if you are performing oral sex on a man, on a penis, do you swallow when he ejaculates? That's a question I get asked. I wouldn't say a lot, but I do get asked that. Well, that's really up to you. Basically, you don't have to swallow if you don't like it. If you swallow, there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, some people love it. Some people hate it. So if you hate it, just don't do it. There should not be any pressure on, on swallowing. So if uh, somebody says, you must swallow, if you want to give me oral sex, you must swallow, it's actually up to the person doing the swallowing that needs to give the consent. So if they actually don't want to do it, they cannot do it, and they can still be just giving plenty of oral sex pleasure without swallowing. And what about gagging as well? That's something that sometimes people complain about. Yeah, uh, you know, it's not, it's not very pleasant to gag. So if you are, if the, if the penis reaches at the, the, the back of your mouth that makes you gag, just don't do it. There's plenty of other ways that you can do oral sex without having the, the full penis inside of your mouth that's going to make you gag. A lot of things that you can do with your tongue, actually, especially focusing on the gland, will bring a lot of pleasure to the partner. And you might enjoy that doing that better than gagging, that's for sure. Oral sex is just like any other types of sex. It's got to be teamwork and it's two people doing it. So even though with oral sex, it's one doing something to the other, the other also has to take part. Both people involved have to really pay attention to how deep you're going to go and what you're going to do, how fast, how slow, and what's going to happen afterwards when there's ejaculation. Some years ago, I did write a feature about sex because my complaint was that any feature I read never really told me things that I didn't already know, not because I was insanely experienced, but just they just didn't. So in writing this feature, I interviewed loads of people, including some sex workers, about sex. And obviously, it's so subjective and personal. But one of the things that did come up was that the touch that men tended to like on their penis and women tended to like were very different. I don't know what you think about that. Whereas like, for example, when you were giving a man a hand job, I remember one of them describing it as imagine you're shaking a tomato ketchup bottle trying to get the last of the tomato ketchup out. But performing all sex in a woman, cunnilingus, I described as trying to lick the hundreds and thousands off some double cream without leaving an indentation. What's your view on that in terms of the pressure that men and women tend to like? 
I think it's a lot more nuanced than that because it's easy to really look at the binaries of men prefer this and women prefer that and it's not always the case. For example, we might say that men prefer kind of like hard hitting type of penetration and women prefer something softer and more caressing. It's, it's definitely the case in many people but actually some women really like the good spanking and they really like the hard pounding as well. So I think that in terms of who tends to prefer what is something that is best to try to not focus so much on because people are so individual and it's uh, and it's just more important to really get to know your partner what is it that really turns you on the most what is it that you really like doing and if you have that conversation really honestly then you don't have to have or you know people might have shame but the, the shame can really reduce and people can be a lot more honest with things because sometimes women say oh I prefer to have a lot of long foreplays and a bit of caressing because they think that's what they should say mm -hmm. and if they don't say that then they'll be perceived to be you know uh, sorry for the word but like slut or whatever and and men do the same thing if men says oh I really like to really take my time with long foreplays or whatever they might be considered to be more like feminine rather than just being the man the manly man is going to go straight in there of course some touch can be very different if you have a, a male body or a female body because we've just talked about the differences you know touching the clitoris is quite different from the gland of the penis for example and the anus and so lots of sensitivity parts some people love uh, being touched on the nipples and other absolutely hate it some people love a foot massage because that's very sexually arousing other people hate it in sexology definitely we keep finding that there's just no no need categories like that about men and sure. women. Sure I mean I totally agree but the thing is it all comes down to communication and I mean part of the reason to do this is to hope to people learn more about it what they like what they don't like and not be afraid. Can we talk about orgasm now? What is an orgasm? An orgasm is a physiological reaction when your body is aroused to the top part of the of the arousal and then and then the body will start to do its own thing which we call an orgasm and that usually lasts for a few seconds sometimes a couple of minutes for women it can last longer than men and it's really when there is the the contraction of the pelvic floor muscles and the contraction of the uh, the muscles in the anus which will produce very good sexual pleasure and there is a biological reason for it obviously men and women do they have orgasms at the same time no, they don't. And it's very, actually very hard to have orgasms at the same time because an orgasm is a very, very individual thing and it really happens depending on what your body is doing at the time. So you're not going to always have the same orgasm. You're not going to always have the same orgasm at the same intensity. And sometimes you need to do different things with your body to, to reach that orgasm. So a lot of people say, you know, successful sex is when you can have an orgasm at the same time, you know, try to move away from that because if you're actually focusing and you're worrying about synchronizing orgasms, you're already out of the, the pleasure space and less likely to have an orgasm. Also, some people have really good sex without an orgasm. So, you know, it's also important not to put all of the, the goal for sex for the orgasm. You know, sex is a lot more than that. Sex should be pleasurable from the very moment you engage in it, not just for the reaching the orgasm. Yeah, and if you're always sort of chasing it, and especially if you have difficulty with it, which um, some people do, you might just think, actually, I don't want to do this, and it sort of starts off a whole cycle. But if a man has an orgasm, he will lose his erection, so penetration has to stop. Is that right? 
Yes, that's right. When the man has an orgasm, typically the orgasm comes with ejaculation, although that's two systems and sometimes men can ejaculate without experiencing the orgasm. But most of the time, the orgasm will come with, with ejaculating. And once the ejaculation is done, the penis will return to a soft state. And then usually the gland of the penis is very, very sensitive after ejaculation. So usually men then don't really like to, to be touched that much after that. And then once the penis goes soft, there is what we call a refractory period which means a period of time that men won't be able to get aroused again because basically the penis needs to recover from the ejaculation and the orgasm. Women do not have a refractory stage. So women can have an orgasm and then they can have another one and another one, another one pretty quickly and they can get aroused a lot quicker than, than men. And you mentioned that orgasm doesn't have to be the goal. I mean, in your experience, do people have trouble reaching orgasm and why might that be? Yes, yeah, people can have issues reaching orgasms. That's a very common issue and it could be all sorts of things. Because the orgasm, at the moment of the orgasm, the body does its own thing. So it means that you don't have control over it. Once you get to that space, then, then it's, it's just going to happen. So a lot of people that, have, that might have had issues in the past about things done to them or things done to their body without their consent might mean that they don't like to go to that space of, for the body to do something that they can't control. So some people consciously and sometimes subconsciously might not go to that stage and they might just stop themselves just before they could do that place of out of control place mm -hmm. really and so that's one reason but other there could be other reasons like um, some medical reasons and some physiological reasons that might need to maybe be addressed with a with a doctor or urologist sometimes it could be nerve endings issues and sometimes people can reach orgasm masturbating and but yet not with another person is that right that's right, yes. And sometimes that's because if you are with another person, you might have more anxieties about um, if you're a good lover enough. And if you're too much in your head, you might just miss the pleasure of the orgasm. Talk about being a good lover. I mean, that's something that often people are worried about. They're not going to be good enough. And obviously their anxieties are going to be quite personal. We've talked about penis size in your experience, what do women worry about in terms of not being good enough? Well, women worry about how the vulva looks a lot of the time because it's not easy to look at a vulva. You need a mirror. So it means that they don't get to, to look at them very much. And so often, and they don't look at other women's vulvas usually. So then they just worry that their vulva is just not looking good or looking wrong or it should be looking differently. And, and a lot of women don't realize that vulvas are like faces. You know, we all have the same parts, but, in, but in slightly different. And so every vulva looks different. So that's one of the worry. The other worry for women is, is body the image which is basically something that's to do with the magazines and the media and so on and even though now there's a bit more kind of visibility of women of, of different body shape it's still very much part of our psyche that the desirable body is one that has to be quite skinny and and in you know in all all the good proportions with big breasts and hairless vulva and all of that and that creates a lot of a lot of pressure on on look on the looks and if you happen to not have that perfect body you start to take your clothes off you can start to feel really really anxious about about your own body yes i hear a lot of anxieties from women especially young women who think they're not going to be enough one question that i was asked is does the man always have to be on top in a man woman couple 
No, exactly not. Absolutely not. Some people prefer that, but some people don't. And in fact, for a lot of people, if the woman is on top, and so that's sometimes a lot more pleasurable for the woman because not only the vagina is wider, is more open, so there's less risk of, of pain, but also they can control the thrust, which means that they can, that can enhance their pleasure. And what's doggy style? Doggy style is when the penetration happens when one is behind the other. The penetrated partner would be on their knees typically and the penetrating partner will be behind them. Can we talk about some more myths? Yeah. So I mean, what sort of myths have you come up against that you'd like to debunk? I think for heterosexual sex, the myth, we've talked about it already, is that sex is penetration. And it's really important for heterosexual people to really understand that penetration is not sex. It's just one behavior out of many others. And you can have sex, plenty of really good sex, without penetration. And for gay men, it's kind of like almost the same, that the, the penetration is this thing that people are, are so focused on. But with gay men, it usually comes with the language top or bottom. So the top is the person penetrating, bottom is the person receiving the, the penetration. And it's usually kind of like people are like really caught up with these things. Are you a top? Are you a bottom? Are you versatile? And, and that is also often, unfortunately, uh, linked with the top being the masculine one and the bottom being the feminine one, mm. which is absolutely inaccurate and that's really quite part of the heteronormative world that we live in and uh, you know many people who love bottoming are really masculine and love the masculinity there's nothing uh, you know feminizing about that but also a lot of gay men do not like penetrations and they are really happy to have oral sex as their main play and there's a, a term actually that's coined by one of my colleagues Joe Court who calls people who don't want penetration they call them sides so there you go, now you've got top, bottoms, versatiles, and sides. And it's really good to be able to own that for yourself. If you don't like penetrations, you don't have to do it. Um, what about lesbian sex? The main myth, really, is that lesbians just get together, they meet for the first time, they get together, they commit straight away, they move in with each other, and they stop having sex. And that's what's called the deathbed, which is a ghastly term. And it's something that's completely inaccurate as well. We do need to talk about sexual health and contraception. And obviously that's something that people have to decide for themselves. But what sort of things should people consider in terms of making sure they stay safe? Well, for contraception, it's really an, an important decision because that taking contraceptive does have an effect on the body. And so it's really important to talk to a doctor about it and to make an informed decision about whether you're going to take some contraceptive pills or not. It is recommended if you're going to have sex and you want to have sex um, without getting pregnant. But of course, there are other ways of contraception. And one of them is uh, the condom, which is you know f not, not just for contraception, but it's a pretty good way for not having the sperm getting inside. And of course, in sexual health, there is lots of other implications to really be careful with STIs, sexually transmitted infection. And that's basically, uh, it could be either viruses like herpes, or it could be bacterial like gonorrhea. And the thing is that if, you, if you're gonna have sex, it's not actually possible to have completely safe sex. It's what we can do is having safer sex. But when mm -hmm. you're going to have sex, casual sex, for example, that you don't, you don't know your sexual partner's history, it's likely that you might get chlamydia, gonorrhea out of it or something like this, because those are bacteria, they're quite easily passed on. And if that's the case, don't be afraid of it. You know, it's not going to make you be dirty or whatever. Just like if you have casual sex with casual people, make sure that you have a regular 
check with a sexual health clinic, we recommend once every three months. So then that means that something can be picked up routinely if you, if you catch a, uh, an infection and then that can be treated very well and very easily. It causes big issues if it's untreated. So it's really important to go to the sexual health clinics and get checked out. Having sex is an adult thing, okay, that takes responsibilities. Well, I think also it's one thing to talk about it in a classroom and everyone's like, I'm going to use contraception. But actually, when you're in that situation and you're really loved up and you're carried away and you're turned on, you kind of go to another place and you sort of you're not thinking about stuff like that. And I think that, you know, that's why maybe you need to be realistic. And if you are in a committed relationship and you're finding condom use, say, really difficult, then maybe you need to look at if you're a woman using other types of contraception. And like you said, getting checked out. It's not an either or. Especially, you know, young people who are just in love with their new partners, they think that bringing up the conversation of contraception or STI is, is going to be a romance killer or even like an erotic killer. And so people are afraid to bring that up because they don't want to kill the mood. I think it's really, really important. If you're going to have sex with somebody, you have to have those conversations. And if you don't want them to be an erotic killer, have them before you start the foreplay, you know, have them the day before, have them in normal conversations so that mm. then by the time you have sex, you know exactly what you're going to be doing. Thank you so much to Silva for another great and easy conversation about a subject that a lot of people find difficult to talk about. As ever, please remember that sex you don't agree to isn't sex, it's assault or rape. If you'd like to ask more questions about sex, then you can email us at conversationswithanalisa at gmail.com and we may think about doing another podcast. A good website aimed at 14-year-olds and up is bishuk.com. If you want to find a sexual relationship counsellor, the website for accredited therapists is cosrt.org.uk and I'll put links to both those websites in the episode description. The series is produced by Hester Kant. The music is by Toby Dunham and our artwork is by Low Cole. Follow us on Instagram at Pocket Annalisa or you can email us at conversationswithanalisa at gmail.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, it would mean a lot if you could share it with someone you think might like it and also give us a review on iTunes. Please join us again next time. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, this is Annalisa. I started doing this podcast because it's an idea I really believe in. So much so that I decided to put my money where my mouth is and self-fund the project. I really want to keep releasing this podcast for free. So if you enjoy this episode, a way you can help is to visit our ACAST supporter page and give what you can. You'll find the link in the episode description. Thank you.